Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hey there, welcome back. It's Mike Williams, and I appreciate you spending time with us at the podcast. Today's message we're going to call Money for Nothing. First of all, before we get to the notes, I just want to make sure you're aware of our uh, Barbell Economy Portfolio Comparables. Of course, all members get to see all these stocks and uh, elements in the portfolio. They're completely transparent. Uh, some of our some of our clients call it the the cheapest the cheapest hedge fund they're going to get. Um, it's doing very well again in this year. It's about 400 basis points ahead of the stock market as of the end of May. Of course, we update that for you every uh, every end of the month. Uh, so back to money for nothing. As you've seen in the recent podcast, we contend that fiscal policies, not Fed policies, are now what we really need to focus on. Looking to the Fed or rates or whether whether we go no uptick, whether we do two rate hikes, whether we get an eighth of a point or a quarter of a point or a half a point, worrying about that is wasted energy. The economy, we have an $18.1 trillion economy. It is not going to collapse if the Fed raises rates. And by the way, the Fed is a follower, as we'll talk later in this podcast and we've mentioned it before. The Fed doesn't control interest rates. I'll explain more later, but here's the point. In time, we are far more, far more likely to find that the, quote, paltry growth numbers and withering investment we are witnessing are more because of the massive regulations and tax hikes that have been added by the current administration to business over the last eight years there's a reason there are record revenues. And I don't mean by a little bit. I mean multiple percentage points higher than ever before. Uh, let's face it, the administration that is in power does not like business and believes that we should have a socialistic environment. You cannot take off as much off the top as they have for years through taxes and regulatory costs and fees and whatever you want to call it. You cannot do that and then expect a non-paltry set of growth numbers. <laughs> Add in the Obamacare costs suctioning even more growth off the top and you get significant burdens on business and no expansionary investment incentives. Uh, whether we like it or not, our jobs are created by people who are willing to go out and risk money to start a business. Now, that's not good or bad. Anybody can do it. I don't care what color, what race, where they came from. Anybody gets to do it in America. But if you do it, try it once, you'll see what I mean. If you do it, then you do necessarily and often expect some incentive, some reward for taking the risk to do so. So I would suggest we look for these issues to begin to reach the forefront of discussion as markets slowly recognize it is not really about the Fed anymore. It simply isn't. 
I, I realize it's a great attention getter, but that's not what we ought to be focused on. As we head off into the summer haze, we need to look with better eyes, I would suggest, and work the waters and winds as they come to us in the near term. Chop is likely, but my vote remains the same. Chop and angst and fear is a great thing for prices we want to pay as long-term investors. Mind you, we rest just below all-time highs. At the time I am speaking this podcast, we are 2% below all-time highs, and yet we are still festering over all the problems Back to that money-for-nothing thought. It's astonishing to me to think that a song from so long ago would make its way into the investing psyche of the world. But that is what the search is for always today, right? Money for nothing. The holy grail, that pathway that we are certain exists if we just keep searching. The one where we can sidestep all risk and yet still gain the reward. Listen, guys, hold your wallet close the next time you're in a conversation suggesting that this is even a remote possibility. Thinking about stuff for free, I was reading a piece recently which had summarized these kinds of elements I've heard from my entire career. As I read through the comments, it struck me that all investors should sometimes sit back and realize how the last 15 years or so have reframed, they've actually restructured our perspectives and driven us to possibly flawed conclusions. It never ceases to amaze me that near-term financial stress in the markets, fearful headlines, and the Wall Street expert product creators can affect even the smartest and most well-connected investors in the world. Uh, You may have seen all the recent headlines of major investors bowing out of hedge funds as investments. I wonder, could that be because the average hedge fund has underperformed the S&P 500 by more than, get this, 100 percentage points? Not basis points, percentage points since the 2009 bottom seems those 2 and 20 deals, you know, where they get 2% to manage and 20% of the profits made people rich, but it was just the wrong end of the deal more often than not. As stated earlier, we've have we have ourselves so embedded and sold on risk management that we have nearly been blinded to the beneficial powers brewing Thankfully, the portfolios we post and update each week for you are included in membership services and are fully transparent. Let me give you a thought, though. Recently, a partner at a prestigious private equity firm was charged with running a $95 million Ponzi scheme. These days, that's a pretty tiny Ponzi scheme. While it always, while it's always nice to see investors uh, try to watch out for this, it's always tough to see investors harmed in this manner. But interestingly enough, it was his apparent marketing pitch, which kind of brings home the point of today's title, Money for Nothing. One document apparently claims this guy's fund offered, and I quote here, private equity returns 
parentheses, 15% per year, end parentheses, but without the risk, unquote. Really, seriously, returns of 15% annually without risk? Oddly enough, a, another line from Dire Straits songs is useful here, and I'm going to quote that, same old fears and same old crimes we haven't changed since ancient times, unquote. Big returns with no risk in investing is like saying to a real estate buddy of yours, hey man, I'd, I'd like to get a four-bedroom apartment, really nice suite overlooking Central Park in New York for $1,000 a month. Why don't you get that for me? Or how about a weight loss program? I've been on a few of those that lets you eat donuts and pizza 24 hours a day while sitting on your couch, remote in hand, and burning fat the entire time. Would you buy into any of those things? Of course not. You'd laugh them off. So why then do we always think there's a shortcut in investing? Why do we think that investing is supposed to be easy. Further, why do we not understand that investing is so emotional that most people, and this is nothing wrong, we're all wired this way, most people cannot separate their investing capital and the goals they need to meet and their required pathway to meet those goals from their emotions. That's why you get so many people selling at lows and getting out of the pain Sure, it, it creates some psychic relief. Emotional stress falls, but what you've done is set yourself up for yet another failure and a loss of real money. Anyway, it seems this guy's victims were not your average inexperienced investors. Oddly enough, they were deep-pocketed, well-connected, professional guys, which makes the story even more mind-altering even after all we should have learned in this day and age, the ghostly dream of somehow being able to get something for nothing isn't just a problem afflicting the uninformed amateur investor crowd. It can also run right up to the top of Wall Street's most seasoned elite. Sadly, the lessons, if you will, of decades past have somehow led us to believe that we can still find a way to squeeze out all that ugly stuff called risk. Let's deal with the facts here. There is always risk in every day, in every decision, in every element you choose to partake in. Everything. And by the way, that includes all of your investment decisions. Even with your advisor, there is no... Uh, you know, there's no future telling here. There's no fortune tellers. There's no uh, guys that can read cards. There's no pathway through the market in the future, which no one knows, that will uh, abscond you of risk. I've stated this often on many podcasts and always to clients and groups we speak in front of all around the globe. And I'm going to quote, excuse me, I'm going to quote here. If one does not accept that risk exists in every single financial or investment decision you will make, then one does not understand investing or the prospects for return. Said another way, I'm going to give you an example. If you think there is a way to invest with no risk, 
then there is no standard whatsoever that you should expect a return on your money, period. I don't care how we define it. I don't care how we try to escape it. I don't care what Wall Street tool they create next. The facts are the facts. Risk exists, period. It is part of the puzzle. It is an inescapable element. Just make sure you understand that. Once you accept it, your emotional response to it dissipates. Even with all that in place, even understanding every element I've just described, I thought it'd be interesting to give you a list gathered over the years from many meetings. It's, uh, it, is, it is a few of the demands I've heard experts tell me are expected of hedge funds and managers. It helps one understand the perspective of how, in an effort to eliminate risk, we may actually be doing ourselves harm over time. Here's some quotes. We expect a return of 10 and 15, 10, we expect a return of between 10 and 15% with drawdowns of no more than 5 to 10%. Really, that's almost impossible. Second idea. The expected return of the manager is typically between 12 and 15% on a five-year annualized basis. <laughs> Managers with the maximum drawdown of 20% or more will not be considered, unquote. Now remember that 20% drawdown thing. Quote, retarget returns of 15% and maximum drawdowns should be no more than 7%, unquote. Literally, impossible to create. I'm just throwing that in as a personal comment. Another quote here, a strict requirement is that funds must have at least three years of 15% returns. The ratio of annual returns to maximum drawdown must be at least one and a half times, unquote. Here's one for you. Oddly enough, in a, in a world of collapsing energy prices, we're currently looking for energy hedge fund managers with net returns greater than 20%. <laughs> quote, managers should have the, quote, right pedigree, unquote, and not have a drawdown of greater than 15%, unquote. In a nutshell, people want big upside and little downside. Once again, something for nothing. The records show, of course, that this search usually ends with nothing for something, as all those recent public decisions from major pension funds to withdraw from hedge funds have shown. One state stated publicly they had, quote, paid $180 million to various hedge fund managers in the last five years alone, unquote. He added in the interview, unquote, or, quote, and in the end, our research shows we would have done better just buying the S&P ETF over the same period. Imagine that. Major, major investors have gone about thinking they could get something for nothing, and they paid $180 million for it. And that's just over a five-year period from one state pension fund. There are hundreds of state pension funds. Here's something to seriously consider after we've heard all those drawdown requests. Most may recall Peter Lynch. He made his fame running the Fidelity Magellan Fund in my early years in the industry, way back in the 80s. Uh, 
Almost all of his gains came in the mid to late 80s when I had just begun in the business. I started in 1982 when his fund returned an astounding 19.9% per year, one of the best investing performances in history. Now, as an aside, it's, it's something you need to understand is that the markets those days were skyrocketing, okay? People were just beginning to realize they had missed seven years of a bull market. By the way, we're repeating that same process again. Keep in mind, however, using the rules that I just noted from those quotes from various investors. And clearly with the benefit of hindsight, let's check out how often during that period that the Magellan Fund was in a 7% drawdown. Keep in mind, before I give you these numbers, a person who made 19.9% per year for five years the Magellan Fund had a 7% drawdown 41% of the time during this impressive run that he made. In other words, all those big-time investor quotes that I gave you, all of their demands, would have taken the Magellan Fund off their list because his drawdowns exceeded 7%, 41% of the time while he was making 19% a year. 11 separate times from 1983 to 1991, the Magellan Fund fell beyond a 7% drawdown. Just one of those drawdowns would have taken the fund off of many institutional investors' lists of funds worth investing in. Imagine that for a second. They would have passed on 19% a year because he had drawdowns below 7% 11 times. Another perspective, we certainly all know who Warren Buffett is, right? Over the last 30 years, the Berkshire Hathaway investment has gained 16% a year, which is astounding. But it, too, has been in very big drawdowns and seen many setbacks along the path. Indeed, it has been bracketed in a 7% drawdown or worse, 48% of the time. By the way, that's almost half of the time in the last 30 years that Warren Buffett has been in a 7% or more drawdown. In fact, there were 29 separate occasions where the stock was down 10% from its latest high, meaning 29 different times the drawdown was more than 10%. With this much volatility, it is, assume, it is safe to assume that the average professional investor would have passed Imagine that, because half the time it was in correction mode from previous highs, which, by the way, is perfectly normal, they would have passed on 30 years of 16% returns. The net result of all this just complete baloney? Today's all-too-often-used framework of trying to, quote, control risk and have ample upside at the same time put you in a box 
leaving one in a position to be unable to accept bad months in exchange for, in the case of Warren Buffett, three decades of pretty darn good results. Look, none of this is designed to suggest error. It's designed to help you understand that we can put glasses on that blind us to facts, thinking we're doing ourselves good. That said, there is evidence that the now prominent inability to accept losses along the way as a part of the ultimate gains over the long term has created a potentially flawed view. I'm going to repeat that. There is evidence across the board that there's a prominent inability to accept losses while you're in the middle of gaining ultimately over the long term. In other words, we seem to have come to a conclusion that in order to make good over time, there can be no corrections, no bad periods, and no risk. That couldn't be more false. In fact, it's opposite of what's true. On the way to gains over time, you must travel through the tough spots. We have become too focused on short-term winning and seemingly, quote, hedging away all of our risk, forgetting what all the history has taught us. The lesson could be that we need to collectively recognize our edge may lie in rejecting the never-reached pursuit of something for nothing and staying focused on what is under the surface over the long haul. There is no such thing as money for nothing. But this is what the facts are. There are powerful drivers in place in the United States, which are set to ignite surprising elements ahead. All will take place while we also encounter short-term setbacks, bad data, bad quarters, bad years, along the way up the very same mountain that the markets have climbed for decades. Remember, The process of climbing up that mountain, getting those gains over time, includes all the bad news. It includes the difficult periods. Disconnect from the fear of risk and you will find yourself, oddly enough, making better decisions. So anyway, hope these thoughts have been helpful. And uh, until we see you on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.